The rest of you want to get out your sermon outline that says responding to the words of Christ. We have a longer passage today, mostly because I cut off part of last week's and put it to this week, but I'm glad everybody is here this morning. Thanks so many of you for moving down, so I hate talking to the big empty space. So, Bonnie Libby, welcome home. It's been a couple of months. You are well? Well, welcome. It is good to see you. We're glad you're back, and especially that you're back with us. I'm glad to have you here. Let's turn in our uh, Bibles to John chapter 12, verses 35 through 50. Well, we have a number of verses to get through today. Hear God's word. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Which is also quoted in Romans 10, our responsive reading this morning. Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man, more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your word, and thank you for these people who have come to hear it. And Lord, I pray now as we're reading a passage about people who did not hear, that we would not be in that group, that you would enable us this morning 
to hear the words of Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. We'll make sure that gets locked. It's not fun when it collapses when you're sitting in it. In our text this morning, in verse 35, we read, So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. It's been said that eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. That's a great quote, and I wish I knew who said it first. I couldn't find it. Eyes that look are common. Eyes that see are rare. Today we need men and women who genuinely see. First, they see what is going on in the world around them, the darkness. And second, that they see whom we have to turn to in order to do something about it, the light. And Jesus is telling the crowd once again that he came as the light. If you don't believe in him, then you remain in the darkness. And if you remain in the darkness, then you have no real relationship with him. Pat Morley illustrates this in his book, I Surrender. And with a story about his family's pet hamster. One evening, gone to bed, house is very quiet, all locked up tight. And he is awakened by these uh, screams and he runs into his daughter's room and she's sitting on her bed sobbing hysterically. Now I'm going to assume her, his daughter is about 10 or 9, 10, 11, right around there at that time. He doesn't actually say. And she's just sitting on the bed crying. And he says, it took him a long time to figure out what was going on. It seems the pet hamster had crawled through a tiny crack at the base of the fireplace in their living room and had dropped irretrievably down into the wall of the house. And now everyone's upset. The poor hamster. She had crawled into the darkness, and she was going to die. They all knew she was going to die getting trapped in the wall of the house. But she didn't know she was going to die. She explored this place carefree, uh, totally unaware of the slow, lingering death before her. And they desperately wanted to get her out of that dark place and save her. But she had fallen from a ledge and couldn't climb her way back up to that thin sliver of light shining in. And they couldn't reach their hands in through that tiny crack to get her. And so they're in turmoil over her fate. But she didn't even know she had a problem. And they went back to bed, but nobody slept. So in the morning, Pat went into the room behind the fireplace with a hammer and began to knock a hole in the wall. And drywall and dust flew everywhere. And when the hole was large enough for him to reach his hand through, he stopped pounding. And after the dust cleared, he shined a flashlight into the hole. And he saw, he saw the hamster there. And he quickly uh, grabbed the hamster before she was able to run from the light, retreating back into the shadows. 
She had been in the darkness long enough. And in the same way, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God has smashed a hole in the wall of darkness that surrounds our world. We were unaware of the slow, lingering death by which we were going to die. We loved the darkness. It was a carefree place. But God knew and he wanted to rescue us. God loved us so much that he hammered through our wall of darkness and shined his light on us. But sometimes we try not to see the light. We try to dart back into the shadows. The people of Jesus' day were just like that. They believe in him, but they love the way of the world and the praise of men. And their day is just like our day. Eyes that look are common. Eyes that see are rare. I've entitled this message, Responding to the Words of Christ. But don't let that fool you into thinking that all responses to the words of Christ are positive. I'll try to look at different responses this morning as we see them here in our text. But just as one can respond to Christ by walking in the light, one can also respond to Christ by retreating into the darkness. And we'll see both here today. So let's turn to our passage this morning. Here we find a number of opportunities to respond to the words of Christ. But having an opportunity also means that you can miss the opportunity. We'll see that happen as well. The first thing we see is that it's important to respond to Christ while you have light. While you have light. Verse 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. The text says, walk while you have the light the light being Christ. And walk, I noticed, is a verb. It's an action word. It involves motion. If you're not moving, if you're not following Christ actively, then it means get moving. Don't sit back. It implies that following Christ is an activity, not merely an attitude or a state of mind. It also implies that if you're a follower of Christ, if you're in the light, then you should be walking in the light. It has little to do with whether or not you feel like it. It also tells us very clearly that if you're in the light, if you're in Christ, then you should be able to see where you're going and how you're going to get there. Christ says not only are we to walk in the light, but we're to believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. And to some degree, we have to trust him because only he knows the results of a life spent Walking in the light. Those results of walking in the light can be seen a whole bunch of different ways. can be seen in our faithful service, our worship, our learning, our sharing, our hospitality, and a myriad of other means of serving Christ through serving His people. Then furthermore, notice that it's a command. Verse 36, while you have in the light, believe in the light. Obedience to the command, believe in the light, carries a reward with it, that you may become sons of light. 
And that way then Christ's light shines through you. And since only Christ knows the result, the, the results of our service, whatever that service may look like, then it follows that Christ knows what the best form of service for us is. And you need to trust him for that. If God is calling you to do something, you should probably do it. And it doesn't matter if it's preaching or teaching or vacuuming the floor or bringing a meal to someone else. Sometimes the best ministry may be something as simple as sitting with someone, sipping sweet tea on the front porch. God has already chosen the best area of service, the best means of walking in the light for each one of us. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Jesus says here, walk while you have the light. Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So we move from this idea of having the light to having belief. He says, walk in the light, believe in the light to respond to Christ while you have faith. Verse 37, while you have faith. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded our eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. I want to deal particularly with the very first verse there, verse 37. As I said earlier, having the opportunity to respond to Christ also means that you can miss the opportunity. And we see that happen right here. Look at verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Let me see what some of the signs that Jesus did. Turned water into wine. That was pretty good. Healed a crippled man. Crippled man appreciated it. Gave a blind man sight. That was kind of a life-changing thing. Lazarus is walking around and we buried him a few chapters ago or one chapter ago. That's kind of unusual. In the Gospels, all four Gospels, Jesus actually performs 36 miracles. He shows his mastery over nature, over sickness, over disabilities, over evil spirits, and even over death. And in spite of all of that, they still wouldn't believe though he had done so many signs before, it, before them, they still did not believe in him. Think of that if somebody says, well, if I could just have a miracle. They had 36. 
And their response was a collective whatever. I think that's astounding. And though it just surprises me that he could have done all these amazing things and they didn't believe in him, it doesn't seem to surprise Jesus. All the way back in John uh, 5, he'd already warned them, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? See, and then John shows us how their lack of faith fulfills numerous scriptures from the prophet Isaiah. In fact, there, you can go all the way back to Deuteronomy. These people are like the, the ancient Israelites that Moses addressed. Deuteronomy 29, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes. The land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. And it's the same thing here. John is quoting Isaiah. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? God's messengers have always been rejected. The Old Testament prophets were never popular. They all were persecuted. Their writings are revered now in the time of Jesus, but when the prophets themselves actually appeared and said those things, their message wasn't accepted. That's still the case. Today, many people revere Jesus as a great religious figure, a great ethical teacher. Some will even agree that he's the Son of God, but they pay little attention to what he actually said or did. And they may give a certain amount of respect to the Bible as long as they don't have to read it. And the question, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, was not only a question for Isaiah's time. It was not only a question for the Apostle John's time. It's a question for our time as well. People say to the Lord, I'll believe in you, I'll follow you, I'll serve you if you do this or that for me. And the Lord says, no. You give up your life, your hopes, your plans. You surrender them to me. And I will give you your life back far better than you had it before. But you must make that surrender. And you must make it blind. In other words, by faith. Without the help of first being able to hold in your hand the blessings I promise to give you. You cannot bargain with the living God and the Redeemer of your soul. You must simply trust Him. And that's faith. And that's why comparatively few people live by faith, because it's a daring business. It's absolutely the right thing to do, for Christ is risen and God has spoken, but in no case is it the natural thing to do. Not now, not then. They didn't walk in the light because they didn't believe in the light. They missed their opportunity to follow Christ because they had no faith. And today, people are failing all around us. They're missing opportunities to hear from Christ. They're failing to walk in the light, and they're loving the darkness for the exact same reason. They have no faith. Jesus said, walk while you have the light. Believe in the light. And these people didn't. You have to wonder about that. What kept them from following Christ? 
They loved darkness. They lacked faith. For many, according to our text, they failed simply because it was too hard. They feared Christ's opponents more than they loved Christ. And so it's absolutely crucial for us to respond to uh, Christ while you have courage. While you have courage. Verse 42. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees. They did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Here we see people who thought they had faith. It says they believed in him, but they refused to confess that faith out of fear. They believed, but they had too much pride. They loved praise from men. And they had too little courage. They had fear of the Pharisees. And I imagine they said to themselves, what will people think? If I confess my faith in Christ, they'll kick me out of the synagogue. That's a loss of my reputation, loss of prestige, the loss of uh, financial opportunity, the loss of approval. I'll be a failure, an outcast. The loss is too high. The risk is too great. I can't do it. I wonder how many people in the church today would confess Christ if they knew it would cost them their job. I think that might make things a little bit more difficult. Or you have to move away. Can't live here anymore. I mean, that's a real situation in many parts of the world, not so much here. They failed Christ. Don't fall. Because they feared failing in the eyes of men. They thought that if they didn't receive the approval of others, then they'd be a failure, and they had too much pride to let that happen. I went to the doctor this week for a sore throat. He said, just get over it. (laughs) I was like, I paid money for this. You know, that's pretty much what he said. Nothing you can do. Get over it. You'll get better sometime. Thanks. Anyway, verse 43, it says, they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I think that can happen to us. I mean, we we're proud of our accomplishments and our abilities. We're proud of our spouse and of our children and of the things that they accomplish. But normally that's not what the Bible is referring to when it talks about pride. Pride in the Bible is usually quite different Pride in the Bible is deliberately choosing not to acknowledge and work out God's character and lordship in our life. It's putting me first before God and exalting our own ways and telling God, essentially, I can handle this. When I need you, I'll call. And we act that way, looking for temporary approval from men over the eternal acceptance from God. 
They didn't have the courage to do what's right. Their fear was greater than their courage. And yet I look at that situation, it just looks familiar. I don't even want to go back through my life and think of how many times that my fear was greater than my courage. Trying to win the approval of people as opposed to the acceptance of God. That's not what God wants for us. The Bible is very clear. Paul writes, 2 Timothy chapter 1, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And he writes, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Most of us are concerned about our reputation, who we are publicly when everybody's watching. That's important to us. What's even more important is our character, who we are when no one's watching. Deep down where no one can see, no one that is except God. That's why character is so important. It's the person God sees when he looks at us. And it's normally a different person than our friends or our co-workers or even our family sees. So 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And when God looks at your heart, does he see too much pride, too little courage, lots of fear? If that's true, are we not much different than those people here in John 12? The Bible says many believed in him, but for fear they did not confess it. They responded to the words of Christ by being afraid of Christ's enemies, so they hid their faith. Jesus said to them, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. This is a confrontation right after Christ told them what to do, told them how to choose. He said, walk in the light, believe in the light. And the confrontation is between the light and the darkness, between belief and unbelief, between confessing Christ and denying Christ. And when so confronted, they froze. And that brings us to the last thing we need to have. We need to respond to the words of Christ while we have the light, while we have faith, while we have courage. And we need to respond to the words of Christ while you have wisdom. This was a hard one to pick the word for because it doesn't appear in the text, but I think that's what it's referring to. Starting at verse 44 till the end. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given has himself given me a commandment 
what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. I started this message by saying that eyes that look are common, eyes that see are rare. And today we need men and women who genuinely see, to see what's going on in the world around them, the darkness, and who we have to turn to, uh, the light, in order to do something about it. The people here have rejected Jesus' words. In the Greek, the word reject means to count as nothing. They wouldn't accept what Jesus said. He said, I am the light of the world. And they responded, it's a little bright, hard on the eyes. We'll stay over here in the shade. That's okay, isn't it? They wouldn't accept what Jesus did. He raised Lazarus from the dead with his words alone. And they didn't believe in him. Lazarus is standing right there. And they didn't believe. And they wouldn't accept who Jesus was. We saw last week, verse 34, the crowd answered him, We heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They wouldn't accept the word of God as the word of truth. They counted it as nothing. In their eyes, the lies were more attractive than the truth. But remember, they couldn't see. They're wise in their own eyes, even though the scripture is full of verses that say wisdom comes from the Lord. I'm reminded of a story I heard from Terry Everett, a congressman from Alabama, about 10, 12 years ago. And he talked about when he first joined the House of Representatives. So a new freshman congressman meet with the House leadership, and they go through sort of a freshman orientation of sorts. And he told the story of how a senior congressman came to talk to him, somebody who'd been there for years, and he said, Congress has changed over the years. He said, today, the average congressman is more concerned with style over substance, more concerned with what is apparent or what is perceived over what is real. Style over substance, what is apparent over what is real. Now, he said that about 10, 12 years ago. Do you think things have gotten any better? Jesus confronted the world during his time and during our time with what is substance and what is real. And he's letting us know that the choices we make about responding to the words of Christ or rejecting the words of Christ have real and eternal consequences. C.S. Lewis said, You have never talked to a mere mortal. Every person you've ever met is immortal. They will last forever. They will either live eternally in heaven with God or they will die eternally in hell separated from God. And Jesus tells us here that he said what God told him to say. Verse 50, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. His words are God's command. His words carry the authority of God the Father. His words lead to eternal life. This is Jesus' final public challenge to the crowd. From here on out, we go to chapter 13 and next week, and he's talking to just the disciples. We go to the upper room, and the situation changes. This is the last thing he says to the crowd. 
He tells them if they listen to what he said, then they've listened to what God has said. If they see him for who he really is, then they have seen God. Substance versus style. What's real versus what's apparent. Praise of men versus the glory of God. Light versus darkness. Belief versus unbelief. Positive response versus negative rejection. Confessing Christ versus denying Christ. John has laid out the picture clearly. And yet, eyes that look are common. Eyes that see are rare. I don't know if many of you have read a book uh, written a few years ago by John Krakauer. It was called Into Thin Air. It was a fascinating book, true story. You may have seen the book uh, at Borders or on Amazon. It's a story of the attempt to climb to the peak of Mount Everest in 1996, Mount Everest being the tallest mountain in the world. And you may remember, it was a big news story at the time, even before the book came out about it, that many who attempted that particular expedition, including two of its leaders, Robert Hall and Andy Harris, both highly experienced mountain climbers, and they died on that mountain. A number of people died in that expedition. And there's a point in the book where John Krakauer, the author, uh, he has been to the peak of the mountain. And they could only stay up there for five minutes because they didn't have enough oxygen. And there was evidence all around that many of the men, including some of the leaders, were suffering from oxygen deprivation, including Andy Harris. And so they leave and they're going down the mountain. And Andy Harris was doing particularly poorly. And they gave him an oxygen cylinder that they had left on the trail part way down uh, for this very purpose, a full unused oxygen cylinder so they would have some for the descent. And they gave it to Andy Harris and he stood there and he said over and over and over, this one's empty. We had used this oxygen, but they hadn't and it was full. And rather than use it, he insisted No, it's empty. It's no good. And they said, no, use it. It's full. And he wouldn't, and he died on that mountain. And there are men and women that close to Jesus Christ, that close to understanding the overtures of the gospel, and they're insisting on their own way. They're insisting on their own understanding. 